0: Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers, Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, Creating and Sustaining Faithful Ministries. Well, here's the Rogue Minister on a special COVID-19 episode of the Rogue Ministry Podcast. We've decided to switch things up a little bit and offer a few interviews um, in one podcast, namely focused on what it is that church groups are doing in response to this pandemic and how they're helping both their own congregations and their communities beyond their congregation. So this episode and the next several episodes will be focused on that very topic because i know many of you um, are out there thinking i would really like to help Uh, i've got maybe some free time or some some money and i i don't know the best place to serve the best best place to give or i'd like to serve in ways that i usually do but i'm not exactly sure how to continue doing that safely and all of those kinds of questions So in this episode, we have two interviews. We have one with Brandon Pierce, and Brandon is a a longtime friend of of mine. Uh, We go back a long time. We spent a lot of time together at scholarly conferences and even stayed up a couple late nights discussing theology and the like. Uh, He's currently the senior minister at the Stanford Church of Christ in uh, Connecticut, Uh, He's also pastored a few churches here in Texas. He has both undergraduate and graduate degrees in biblical studies and theology from Abilene Christian University, and he's been very active um, with the Christian Scholars Conference, which is an academic conference um, in which he chairs a section that actually Uh, focuses on the connection between the church and the academy. So Brandon will be the first person that we hear from. And then the second person that we're going to hear from is Mitchell Boone. Mitchell is actually our uh, pastor that we currently have uh, at White Rock UMC here in Dallas. And Mitchell has been a great friend to us for a couple years we were actually introduced before we moved to dallas so i started talking to him on um, facebook facebook messenger actually before we ever moved to town and we became friends and through that friendship we decided that uh, it would be a great church to to, to join and be a part of. And Mitchell's a very creative thinker, and so I knew he would have some great ideas, and I've already seen some of what our church is doing. Mitchell did his Masters of Divinity um, at the Iliff School of Theology in Denver, um, and then he did an internship at the House for All Centers and Saints there. Some of you recognize the name of that congregation, and now he is the pastor at White Rock UMC, and he's really been leading our church uh, through this time, trying to figure out how to best help our community and help, like I said, help our congregation as well. So I hope both of these interviews are helpful. I hope you can take away... uh, A few ideas, perhaps, that that you can just steal and say, hey, these are great ideas. Let's take them back to our community if they're helpful. And also, both Mitchell and Brandon are a little bit more uh, theologians, I think, than perhaps the average pastor. And so there's some good uh, ruminating on the sort of theological reasons, the why we're doing the kinds of things we're doing and doing them in the ways that we're doing them. So hopefully you'll get some ideas there. And for those of you who are maybe preachers or something yourself, might give you some things to talk about in upcoming sermons. But mostly we just want these next several episodes to give you ideas about how you might serve during this weird time um, called a global pandemic. And then we'll start thinking in later episodes about what it is that we can do once we've moved on to, quote, the new normal. Hi,
1: we're here on the Rogue Ministry podcast with our friend Brandon Pierce, who's the senior minister at the Stanford Church of Christ in Connecticut. Brandon,
2: how are you doing this evening? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I'm so glad that I get to hear your voice.
1: Well, I'm glad I get to
2: hear yours as well. For those of y'all who don't know,
1: Brandon and I are old friends, so it's good to chat to an old friend. Um. We're focusing this episode and forthcoming episodes of the Rogue Ministry podcast really on responses to uh, the COVID-19 virus to see what churches and other people and groups are doing. So, Brandon, I guess that's a simple question I have for y'all. What are y'all doing up in uh, Connecticut? Well, um
2: really depends there's uh there's kind of a couple of different ways that I've been thinking about this question um, so one way of dividing it for me is like what are we doing internally different um or what are we doing externally um internally mm-hmm. being like how are we rearranging our church life in order to continue to uh have that church life which I consider to be a valuable thing to the world um, and uh, and then Externally, being you know, how are we actually um, reaching out and into our community? So, um, uh, externally is probably the more interesting one, uh, more interesting place to start. So, um, right away, when um, up here in Connecticut, we're kind of at the epicenter of it in um, the United States. Where I am is um, the first county on the border to New York. Um, so we're in what's called Fairfield County, and uh, basically we're right next door, and we're probably – it's going to be about as bad as it is in New York City, which is about 30 miles away. Um, it's going to be that bad here in two or three weeks. So we've we've uh, been sheltering in place for, um, I think, a month now, um, if not more than that. So when this all started happening – members. Um, And they have lots of different things. They told us, oh, we could use, obviously, uh, PPE equipment, or you could just donate some money to this particular thing. Um, Or one thing is that, uh, you know, they have a very stressed out and uh, heavily worked staff um, that is sometimes insulated from the praise that they're ostensibly receiving online or um, in the hearts and minds of the people that know them. So we worked with a local business to um, uh, give them breakfast, basically, um, and it was built around both helping a local business and um, attending to uh, the kind of morale needs at the hospital. Um, and this is basically not just a one-time thing, but set up to be continuous um, as far as um, – how the hospital representative that I've been working with um, said, okay, we're going to need it this day and we're going to need it this day and this day. And several other churches and other charitable nonprofits have kind of come along board and doing this work. So we've got a a nice really spaced out schedule. So um, it's a really nice thing that we're working together, doing a little, little bit of research, not just throwing money at things, but we're actually kind of, making contact with people, we're paying full price for the bagels and the coffee and and all the other stuff so that um, people don't have to like, and local businesses, they don't have to sacrifice, Um, they can actually continue to pay their employees. Um, So we're we're doing that kind of stuff with the extra funds that we've set aside in our church in order to meet those needs. So uh, I want to kind of up there and, and process um before I move on to other things.
1: Yeah, so I hear you saying and I think this is wise that if your church building's not really being used right now, at least not in the way that it was previously, then you're not having to pay uh uh you know, the light bill or, or whatever other things you might be paying. So you've added that money um to funds that you've already had in order to, um, both support a local business and help out hospital workers. Um, I wonder, are there any, any things that, that y'all are doing that are not, that, that don't necessarily involve, um, giving money towards, and efforts? Are there other efforts you're you're doing that that might not necessarily cost y'all anything or cost much out of your budget, but still having an impact on on the community in some way?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, there's a couple of things I do want to note. Like we're actually like a we're a small church. Um, we have like a hundred, a uh, little over a hundred people in the roll. We average about like 60 to 80 members on the Sunday. Um, and and we're all we're a Church of Christ, so we're not a part of the larger denomination. There's no like, uh, you know, extra funds floating out there in the ether. We just very much self-generate. Um, uh, so um, when we're when we're talking about giving funds, um, this is really like a, a a very uncomfortable thing that we're doing. Something that that makes us uh, as a church vulnerable. And and that was. Really mm-hmm that was a a thing that I wanted um, to add in there that this isn't giving like out of our excess. And, and um, you know, this isn't something that is, is quite easy. It's it's actually something that makes us vulnerable uh, as a church to do because it's, it's eating away at at rainy day funds and other things that would ostensibly keep us afloat. Um, So I wanted to throw that in there as kind of like a, the last thing about the money um, because this, this question is a great question. So, a couple of things that we um, we tried to do um, in that vein um, were not successful at, at all. Um, so one of the things we tried to do was organize kind of neighborhood morale boosting things. Mm. Um, we tried to work with um, the people that we knew in our neighborhood and um, other kind of more abstract, kind of social media type connections to get people to put up stuff in their window. And organize people doing a like a um, scavenger hunt to find particular things. Would you know you, you just go around your car and you're like, oh, that's there and that's there and that's there. That failed miserably. It was a terrible idea. Uh, well, it, no, it was a great idea, um, but it 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 was uh, not something that people were interested in doing. Um, mm. So that was unfortunate. Another thing that we tried to do was a blood drive. Um, Because if you're connected at all with, like, Red Cross or um, other blood services, they're just throwing out um, wildly that there's a blood shortage. And um, we do a yearly blood drive anyway. And so we uh, said, okay, let's kind of um, let's do this. Let's make sure it happens. And we worked with them to figure out, okay, what are you doing uh, precaution-wise? Is this safe for people to do? And um, yes, 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 we were working through it. And then finally they said, okay, it's just getting so bad there that we can't do that anymore. So we had to cancel our blood drives. Um, but I think in other places where um, things aren't as bad, uh, where um, like in Texas or uh, other places where you've had a bit more times to repair and take this seriously, um, it might not be uh, canceled. You might could still legitimately run a blood drive. Um, and they take so many different precautions to make sure that Um, you're safe there and you're not going to continue to spread this and make it worse um, for doing this very um, truly essential thing. Um, So those two things didn't work, uh, which is a real shame. Um, A couple of other things that we're doing is um, we are keeping our building open for our recovery groups only um, and following the state's guidelines in terms of how many people can be present for those meetings at any given time and a couple other protocols as far as um, they have to wipe everything down before and after with wipes that we've provided. We require them uh, to um, only meet in this very specific space that um, will require minimal, you know, trunching through the church and stuff like that and is open enough for them to, you know, not cough and accidentally spread a disease. So we have all these precautions and protocols, but, um if you're familiar at all with uh, AA and recovery groups and stuff like that, meeting in person is just so vital. And oh, so, yeah. Um, we have groups of uh, no more than five who are meeting at their normal time that they would have met um, had this crisis not gone on um, because we have about five recovery groups to meet anyways. So um, some of it is – Are, those, are those considered there are – because um, I
1: know that a lot of places they're talking about essential services, essential businesses. Are they considering recovery groups as as a part of that, or have y'all just said, "Hey, this is something we think is important, so we need to move forward with with doing that with the appropriate precautions"?
2: Definitely the latter. Uh, I mean, we're we're following state guidelines in terms of how many people can or should meet together. Um, and things like that but uh, I I don't even I, it's not a business so I, I don't think the the um, uh, state would say it's essential that it, it almost kind of that um, application wouldn't apply yeah I would I think that most folks,
1: folks and, and folks in the recovery community would say it's essential I was just curious yes. Yeah. I, think, yeah, I I wouldn't
2: say it's essential.
1: I would make that argument if if um if we were hosting recovery meetings that they're they're essential because people's lives are literally on the line um on a regular basis in terms of recovery, but anyway, I was just curious about that, yeah, any other churches that might be doing or wanting to do similar things with their recovery groups that they have needing, yeah, that's
2: a great question. Um, So just a few other things that I'll just put out there into the ether. Um, We, uh, like everybody, are are retooling our internal life, um, how we continue to be a community of Christ, Um, and some of that involves kind of uh, Lectio Divina. our congregation up amongst the the elders um, and some of the leadership and and tag them to call a certain amount of people every single week and so um, we're having this kind of pastoral presence and I'm making an effort to try to call through the church list as well Um, I was very ambitious and wanted to do every single person every single week and that just turned out not very realistic but I'm I'm making it through Um, and so we have this I'm in more contact with people than I was um, because of how often we're trying to kind of touch base on um, person to person wise um, and then one of the cool like Our listeners that uh, that you you spent a
1: good portion of your life down here in Texas and and some of that pasturing in in rural Texas on top of it. So yeah, uh, imagine population density looks a lot different.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just it, there's just no parking up here. Like that's that's one of the biggest things. That mm-hmm. Did not think about parking less up, up here. It, well, fair enough, whatever. So yeah, we're uh, we're. We're trying to plan these like parade-style birthday parties and parade-style graduation ceremonies so we can Mm. kind of acknowledge those big milestones in people's lives together as a community um, and to continue to be there for each other um, in ways uh, that uh, we need to be.
1: Um, In terms of internally, so you 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 said a little bit. I, I guess here's what I'm trying to ask: How are you connecting, uh, or are you connecting, sort of the internal? That's because that's kind of an internal thing to your congregation, with the more the external community service stuff. I think you mentioned something to me in a previous conversation about trying to talk about local nonprofit.
2: Yeah, so um, I'll give you a a good, for instance, I work with one, um, it's called Building One Community here. Stanford is a point of immigration. A lot of people come through Stanford. Um, And um, there's a big, wonderful, amazing nonprofit here that is, um, who tries to serve uh, actual immigrants um, who are coming in, whether they, uh, have, have papers or not like their status isn't questioned it's just if you uh, are here and new to this country you can come here and get a load of services um, and one of their main services is just um, uh, ESL ELA classes um, and I've worked with them for the last couple of years um, helping at that part of it um as a tutor sometimes as a class teacher sometimes with with upper level students level four students um, because my uh, they, they work with immigrants from all over, but the times that I'm able to be there is in the morning, and in the morning is when most of the um, Spanish speakers are there. And my Spanish is, is um, okay, and and their English is very good, so we can um, work on things like fluency and stuff like that. So anyways, instead of actually being there and being present, um, now there's this opportunity to go on Zoom calls or Skype calls or go to a meeting or whatever and work with people of now relegated to their homes, um, and they may find themselves with, with lots of extra time, um, we're encouraging people to um, find ways to devote their time uh, to these organizations. Um, we also just try to, like, increase awareness. So we um, send out emails every now and then with saying, okay, hey, you should be aware of this but this nonprofit. It's, it's worth your money if you've got some money you want to donate or think about this nonprofit or you know, so on and so on. Um but that's kind of really just making sure sense. that people are aware of yeah. of
1: what's going on and how things may have changed with those nonprofits. It sounds like um you're keeping people in your congregation sort of up up to date on on those different organizations if
2: I'm hearing you right. Yeah, exactly. Um um, pointing them in their direction, you know, we, obviously we always want um, to encourage people to like, you know, support local businesses. Um, but I, I, I don't think people like understand the work, the tremendous work that nonprofits do. Um, you run your own, so you know this very well. Um, that it, it's just such a, a fundamental need, and uh, a lot of them are really suffering now. Um, So we just want to um, not only, uh, you know, I want to bring this back to money again, um, but that's just such a a vital part of our capitalistic life, I guess, that so much of it comes back to that. Mm -hmm. Um, When we uh, uh, talked to the leadership about, well, what do we do about giving to the church? Um, There was a a palpable agreement that, in, in some ways, we need to discourage people from giving to church, um, you know, saying, look, you know, there's a lot of you who are going to lose your jobs. There's a lot of you who are who are just going to be very stretched right now, and we don't want you to give to the church, you know. Um, but then there's a lot of people in our congregation that are extremely wealthy. Um, they're well off, and their income isn't going to be dramatically affected by this. Some of them, they will, but some of them, it won't. And so it's kind of like if you're able, as you're able, give to the church, but also like give to these other places too. Like it's not a competition. Uh, and if we get a little bit less this month and make it a little bit more, you know, that's that's going to be okay.
1: That's a that's a rare and amazing thing to hear a church leader say um, that maybe sometimes your money ought to be given elsewhere, might be more helpful elsewhere. I appreciate that. Unless you have any other examples or or things you want to mention, I've got another um, question for you, but I wanted to give you a chance if there are any last things you wanted to mention before moving on.
2: Yeah. um, You know, that's, that's really it. Um, We're, uh, always striving to think creatively about what we can and can't do. But I think um, we're just a normal church like everybody else. Um, And we're, you know, certainly not saving the world by any of of these things. Um, But um, trying to uh, live out the gospel um, as best as we can in in these small sorts of ways. So I'm, I'm, really glad that you're doing this, uh, mostly because I want to hear what other people are doing and steal their ideas. Well, that's, that's what we're
1: hoping. So the other question that I wanted to ask is really what's, what's been motivating y'all both in, in sort of practical ways, but, but also theological ways. I know that um, you are, I don't want to say rare, but maybe it's true among pastors in that you're a genuine scholar and theologian. And I know you think through these kinds of things. So just yeah, what's been your motivations that y'all kind of come to, practically and theologically?
2: Um, you know the, the the main thing I I think this is why theologians need to work in a church um, is is because our our motivations are just so messy right now, uh, mm. they're all over the place, and, and there's no systematic tie-in, and some of them suck, uh, and some of them don't, um, <laughs> and, and I think maybe that's just you know how how it's got to be, and, and we we can strive to you know make the sucky ones go away, um, and, and some of them are just like really simple. Um, so one of the big ones is just like needs based trying to figure out what people need and trying to meet that need um that's the practical motivation um people are desiring community and connection they've they've lost what um, they thought they had and um are struggling i think in some ways to reclaim that and so we're Um, trying to meet that. People need resources. I think the longer this goes on, I I don't think people are prepared for the long haul. Um, Mm. I use the example in the last couple of sermons that, like, I can do five push-ups anytime, but, like, when it gets to 15 push-ups, my body starts to start asking me important questions about why I'm doing this. Um, (laughs) And so, (laughs) Yeah, you know, we're like we're at that five push up level where we can stretch and, and readjust in uncomfortable ways. But I think in a couple of weeks or in a month or, you know, when July rolls around and uh God forbid they still haven't lifted this order, um, uh, I think people are gonna be extremely stretched and needy and just in terms of resources. Um uh so that you know, there's just identifying needs, being aware of those and um trying to meet them as best we can. That's just a really simple practical motivation. Um, theologically speaking though, uh, there's all sorts of stuff. I, I very um, unintentionally, um, for this reason, um, wanted to make Micah 6 8, uh our kind of theme verse for the year. Um, yeah. I was thinking more in terms of this being an election year and things being very contentious and people needing to really evaluate their consciences. In terms of how they're going to vote um, and uh, engage politically. So um, I figured, um, you know, do justice, love mercy. but Logics, I think that have driven and sustained church culture in America, uh, I won't say Christianity, and I, I don't even like Christendom anymore, even though I'm a big Kyrgyz guy. Um, I don't even like Christendom anymore. It, church culture is what I'm using now. So a lot of those logics that drove and sustained it in North America, I think they're being exposed right now, and I think their cracks are showing very deeply um, that churches have, have become uh, sometimes not even so subtly just businesses um mm-hmm. just another organization that is just trying to um continue to survive and make dividends and uh, and uh and I I think that's really starting to show uh, right now when when we're all kind of being pressed and, and when all of our budgets are they're already falling apart and anyways but now they're especially falling apart and um, and everyone's just kind of hunkering down now and we've got all these big buildings and, and big old bank accounts and and that kind of stuff and investments to keep us afloat and uh, you know we're I think the impulse for a lot of us is just to like protect those at all costs and ride them out and, and hopefully hope Hope they'll sustain us through this, and we'll survive as an institution later on and um so theologically speaking we're we're working through those ideas about whether that's really the goal um to survive and and sustain economically as an institution as opposed to you know uh, following the gospel call to um lose our life for the sake of jesus um Yeah, I'm really impressed
1: to hear that. Oh what were you saying? So I was just gonna say I'm I'm impressed to hear that because you know I realize that means you didn't say it directly, but you know, your salary might be on the line and I don't know, I I hope other church leaders out there are listening closely to that because I think that is a, a really important word right now, but keep going. You were saying something.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: I try not to think about that. <laughs> well, I'm, not, but I, I'm
2: glad really I could
1: bring crazy. bring up a happy
2: thought for you. I've got that bravery that's a result of ignorance. That's what I'm writing right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a reality. Um, But there's, there's just this deep comfort, um, that I think you can only access if you're truly like living your faith out with as much integrity as you can muster. Um, Mm. you know, like I can, if we're doing this, I can at least say like we did what was right. And, you know, if, if that means, you know, things just kind of implode, then, um, doing what's right by the, by the church itself and, and not letting other people down. I hope we as a leadership are, but um, and I think we are. We're not like being irresponsible. We're making, I think, good decisions about where this money goes and um, effective decisions for it as well. But um, I think that's uh, vitally important. So um, there's those two things. Um, uh, in terms of uh, just the simple logic, the basic compassion of, of Micah eight, and, and the need-based practical motivation and the ideological pushback against um, uh, churches as, as being primarily self-sustaining things um, that, that aren't actually, you know, they're built off of saying we're here to help the world and save the world, uh, but when push comes to shove, we're, I think a lot of us um are really tempted to like drop that um like a bad habit uh but the last thing that i i wanted to just bring up is the theological motivation and and again like my church of christ roots are showing here because i'm just going to go back to scripture and and not say anything about high theologians um <laughs> because micah 6 8 is our big verse uh and uh we were uh right smack in the middle of a studied Micah so we can understand you know what that verse is actually all about and Micah has very quickly become like one of my absolute favorite books in the whole bible like once you really study it at a a scholarly level and get the picture um, get who Micah is and what he's actually saying Um, because Micah's this rural dude whose village was more than likely Uh, just wiped off the map by uh, an Assyrian invasion that was brought on by um, the the very powerful and influential people in Jerusalem, uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah, who um, wanted to do, like wanted to revolt against uh, Assyrian dominance in the area. And so there's this like deep political rage that um, is, is not even below the surface, it's just wildly out there Micah is is unbelievably uh furious at um the the rich and the powerful some of whom he actually accuses of saying you you thought you were going to profit off of this um Mm. and and now he finds himself as a refugee in Jerusalem um and there's even this like um a lot of scholars think there's this subtle competition with Isaiah as well who's a contemporary um where uh, Micah has a couple of sayings about other competing prophets and the crap stuff that they say. And and some of the stuff he accuses them of saying is the stuff that Isaiah is saying. So uh, <laughs> he's he's just out there, like, swinging madly um, and doesn't care who he is. Um, and the big thing in Micah, like, he alludes to idolatry a couple of times, um, but that's it. And you would think, you know, the prophets are all about being angry about idolatry. What Micah is pissed at is is what Amos is pissed at. It's economic exploitation.
1: Uh,
2: like when uh-huh. you get to these oracles that are like, and why has uh, God taken away his hand of protection? Well, it's because all of you people have exploited the vulnerable people in your society. Uh, mm-hmm. and, he, and he uses this wonderful imagery, uh, lots of different kinds of imagery to um, basically describe uh, very wealthy and powerful people in, in Jerusalem and elsewhere who um, have made it their custom to basically consolidate power by taking it um, uh, with um, uh, either by force or by uh, cheating and lying and stealing and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and this is what Micah thinks really makes God pissed beyond measure. Like, this is the kind of thing that will incite God to, um, you know, either raise up the Assyrians against them or, you know, take his hand away, whatever theological way you want to try to justify that. Um, with Micah, it's a little bit ambiguous, kind of what he thinks. But that, for me, is kind of where I'm centering myself and I'm centering – I'm trying to center the life of the church is, like – um our, our life is real, um, you know, our, our means of survival are real and they matter to God. Um, and um, there's like a, a moral center um, to a nation, to a community, certainly, but, but to a nation as well. And um, Micah isn't just saying you're bad politicians and you're bad military strategists. He's saying like this, this whole, uh, you're, You're morally corrupt, and that is leading to this disaster. Like, that's what's at the heart of this national disaster of the Assyrian army knocking at our door. Um, So trying to listen very carefully and learn those messages about, like, what really incites God's anger, and then thinking about the ways in which, you know, we ourselves as individuals participate in those very systems of corruption. Um, And I don't mean, like, well, you shopped at Walmart. Um, and he doesn't shop at the, you know, fair trade place or whatever. I, I, I mean more like directly um, how we might uh, be people who participate directly in the exploitation of of other people um, and, and how we as a church can um, not do that. Uh, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> That's yeah, and in a way this so, provides yeah. opportunity to –
1: potentially call people to to do exactly the opposite of that, right? To say, okay, now it's become even more clear than ever who who's vulnerable and we have the opportunity to step up to help, to support rather than to rather than to um you know, exploit and all of that. So I it's kind of yeah, it's kind of fitting that it, it turns it on its head and makes it, um, makes it pretty clear, uh, that this is an opportunity. I don't know if, you know, I, I don't want to make judgments myself about whether or not God is punishing the world or whatever, but at the very least, it gives us the opportunity to reflect, um, because. There's no question now um the world over who's vulnerable and right. i i I even read just today that that in new york um that significantly more African Americans were being infected and dying of this um than than other groups, and then you can you know go on from there and see how that ties to income and accessibility and all of these kinds of things. Yeah. So I appreciate you.
2: I think that's, I think that's exactly it. Like
1: uh, I, I'm
2: with you. I don't, I don't even think it makes much sense to even ask the question, is God doing this or not like that? I think that's kind of absurd in our modern circumstance. Um, but, but part of what makes Micah brilliant is that, He's saying the result of of um, moral corruption and and by extension political corruption uh, and ineptitude is is not that necessarily the the rich and powerful will suffer like what Micah describes as God's punishment is mainly him like this rural hillbilly that had nothing to do with it you know uh, mm. and that's the circumstances we find ourselves in right now is is the result of of poor leadership um at so many levels nationally and internationally is that all the rest of us you know small people and significant people in the grand scheme of things are the ones going to get hit hardest by it um yeah yeah uh, so it's just it's a it's less like a question of like is is god doing this is or God punching is not. Or it's more like this: is, we find ourselves in a similar situation where the life that we once knew is really under threat. Um, and uh, you know, what kind of lessons do we need to learn? How is that illuminating things about the world that uh, maybe was um, easier to hide before? And and how can we pay attention to that and live as this truly? you know, Christ community uh, mm-hmm. within, in a, within a world that's, that's changing at a, at a very fundamental level.
1: Well, I think I might let that be the, uh, the end of the conversation, if you're okay with it. Um, uh, really I appreciate you joining us and, and telling us, I, I appreciated, uh, one of the questions we were going to ask is what had works, So I appreciate that, uh, you, you said that early on in the conversation I think that's often just as helpful um, for other churches you might be considering some of these things say oh well if that didn't work for them maybe maybe it's not the best thing for us to try along with giving us some of the things that you've been doing that are working and, and really I think throwing down a serious challenge for anybody listening um, to consider what what it might look like for the church to be a sacrificial community, um, during this time. So Brandon, I'm really thankful for you. I appreciate you joining us in the Rogue Ministry podcast and, um, hopefully we'll talk to you again, um, maybe sometime later and all this so we can hear some more of how, how some of these, um, these things have worked out in your neck of the woods.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to telling you how I've stolen the ideas of other wiser people. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the idea. That's uh, the
1: idea. So we'll we'll make sure some folks steal your ideas, and then hopefully you can you can steal some other ones. So thank you so much, brother. You have a good night. All right, man.
2: You too. Take care.
1: Well, welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. We have with us. Mitchell Boone, who is the pastor at White Rock United Methodist Church here in Texas, which just happens to be where Rachel and I attend church. And he also, with some other partners, oversees the Owenwood Farm and Neighbor Space, where Rachel and I do our diaper distributions, the diaper, et cetera. So, Mitchell, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
3: I'm all right, man. Yeah, it's uh, some strange times that we are facing.
1: Very strange times. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I, so I imagine it's off you face to face, you know?
1: Yes, yes. And I would have are. much rather been able to do that. And I know that someday we'll circle around more and talk more about Why Rock and Onwood's larger ministries. But right now, we just, with all these. Next several episodes we're doing, we just want to focus on responses to the to the COVID nineteen pandemic. And so I'm just curious what it is that you um, have been doing and and leading the church in doing um, in response to this, both you know maybe internally in terms of meeting the needs of church members, but also Mm -hmm. externally uh, out in the community.
3: Yeah, so you know I think. Churches, regardless of uh, theological persuasion or um, context, we, we have a responsibility to make sure that um, our congregations are healthy and safe, and that mm-hmm. includes our communities, right? So we've, um, we've taken the, you know, the advice of our county uh, judge and commissioners to uh, shelter in place um, and stay at home. And we're taking that pretty seriously in terms of what it looks like for our congregation to continue to gather. It's happening um, all virtually. And so out of that space, we've we've had to kind of create some solutions to to first connect um, our congregation to one another. We have a variety of ages and, um, uh, you know, a variety of folks who are comfortable or not comfortable on on social media platforms and, and with technology. And so, We've had to to really trust that uh, one-on-one conversations can help people get acclimated to this kind of new way of being the church, at least in this interim period. So, you know, we've pushed everything online and through uh, digital platforms, but we have not stopped uh, trying to care for one another um, specifically within the congregation and then our immediate neighborhood and community. One of the ways that we've done that is we created a Google form, really the, the, the day after our first Sunday, where we were digital, we created a kind of a covid nineteen connector uh, form and what it what it really is is it's a form that allows people uh, to fill out fill it out a simple form and and either indicate um do they need help or assistance or are they willing to provide help or assistance um It's not complicated form. But what we're doing is the church is really just being the conduit of connecting neighbors to neighbors and congregants to congregants. And so Mm -hmm. if someone needs something, you know, they just let us know through this form and then uh, we connect them with someone who can provide or help them uh, with whatever that need is. So we launched that internally and now we're beginning to launch it uh, community-wide and so we have um, we have a really good ratio right now of folks who are willing to care for others or provide um, some care. Um, we have a great ratio from caregivers to those who are in need. Um, we anticipate that that ratio will even out here in the next couple of weeks. Dallas kind of, you know, slowly crawls towards its own surge here locally. But uh, we are prepared on that front. And it's been awesome because this has been a partnership with With our city and our district um, uh, council member, Paula Blackman, is also uh, not only adding funds to this work, but also promoting it. So it's this really great relationship between uh, the city uh, utilizing uh, faith organizations that are on the ground to help them make sure that neighbors are taken care of.
1: One thing... um related to that i i know on our website on the church website there's actually a covid 19 tab on the the main page could you talk a little bit about about that yeah
3: yeah so one of the things that we realized and i think everyone kind of knows is that um you know there is a lot of information that's coming out um and a lot of different sources and so we kind of created a uh a gathering place for all the information that the church was uh, wanting to distribute to the congregation and also uh, provide some resources that we as staff were coming across that we thought were good and well vetted. And so we created really quickly, and this is the benefit of having a a website platform that can be edited on the fly. Um, It allows us the ability to kind of to change course and and change direction really quickly, but we created a, a resource tab that has all the different things that we are providing or hoping to provide both the community and our own congregants. Um, but one of the things that I'm most proud of and has gotten the most play is our COVID-19 resource page, which if you went to WRUMC.org, clicked on our COVID-19 tab and went down to the resource page, you would see articles um, regarding parenting and, and Activities for kids, how to to do home education well, music, art, uh, some really great articles around what the church is doing right now, generally, Church with a Big C, and how spiritually we're forming folks. We have stuff on mental health, and then we have a reliable news tab. And so we continue to update that and make sure that folks have access to good information that we think helpful not only for them physically or mentally, but also emotionally and spiritually. And and so we're hoping to gain, and because we have trust in our our neighborhood, we know that folks are coming to this call because they trust what we say and uh, they trust our process in in vetting and helping distribute both city uh, information and also uh, stuff that we think would be helpful for them as they shelter in place.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at that right now and it really is a whole load of resources. So for those who didn't catch it, it's wrumc.org, and then you can click on the COVID-19 tab, and, and there's a drop-down menu that says COVID-19 resources. So mm-hmm. definitely go check that out, um, especially if you live in in uh, the Dallas area, but it, it's got information that would be helpful for, for folks uh, all over the place. Um, but yeah. I appreciate also has some things about like helping local businesses and um that kind of thing like a list of restaurants in our area for instance that folks might be able to support and that kind of thing
3: exactly.
1: so I think you've also recently been doing a um YouTube channel with some interviews and I feel like uh you've interviewed some local officials and and whatnot about this can you tell us a little bit about
3: yeah i mean you know, I I that, yeah and you know i think you know one of one of the things that um that we take seriously at white rock is our relationships with our neighbors and uh as jessa wants to talk about our friendships that we have as individuals and as a church with um, with folks who are either experts or elected officials. We really try to mind those relationships when we can. Um, and it's um, mutually beneficial for a lot of folks to have a platform to both share their insight and um, their expertise with the community. Um, and it's also a great way for the church to kind of help navigate the conversations. And so we've been inviting elected officials on uh, for a, a simple interview um and and also some experts we've had a, a you know a psychologist who's working in a hospital setting we've had someone who who's been uh, doing great work with catholic relief services and um, is really uh, connected in the ngo world and talking about how this pandemic's going to affect our global uh siblings uh we've talked to a principal at a school about how to do home education in a way that makes sense. And then yeah, we talked to our city council representative and also our, our our school board trustee. And um and what we've been able to do is then send that out uh in to our neighbors and say, okay, here are some people that we think um have some important things to tell us and and to share with us in this time. And it also gives um our neighbors a familiar face because they they know a lot of these folks that we're interviewing and so um, it's easier to trust information if, if you know the person giving it to you. And so we're, um, we're really working hard to, to leverage our relationships to, to benefit our neighborhood by, by giving platforms and space to folks who, um, who are really experts on what's happening on the ground or a particular aspect of our lives uh, now that we're sheltering in place. Um and we've seen a lot of traction with that and it's been um a really good thing for the church to kind of enter into this space where typically we're not we're not so forward or out in front in terms of like local politics or things like that, but we can utilize those resources because I would imagine most churches have some working relationship with elected officials, and what better way to get elected officials in front of our congregation, sharing what 's important than you know just setting up a simple zoom call and recording that thing and pushing it out so it 's a low hanging fruit for us, and hopefully its low hanging fruit for a lot of churches to begin uh, to begin like just having conversations with folks who have something important to say and sharing that with uh, the broader community.
1: And y'all are just putting that on the um, church's YouTube.
3: Yeah, so we uh, created a page, YouTube channel. Correct. Yeah, yeah, we were we were kind of behind the time here. We were we were still posting stuff on the Vimeo, and we were doing that for you know a lot of different reasons. But we we made the switch to to the YouTube platform because it's it's universal and, and most folks have access to it and use it often. Um, so we're recording that. Um, most of the time we're recording these conversations that are also happening live on our Facebook page. You know, we invested in, a, in an aspect of Zoom um, that allows us to broadcast live our conversations. And as we are doing that, um, you know, we're engaging with folks here in the comment section. And then um, we immediately upload that, uh, to, to our YouTube channel, which allows folks then to have um, kind of an archival history of the conversations we've had. And then, case folks have missed it or don't have a Facebook profile, they can find it on our YouTube channel.
1: Great. I think those are good resources for folks to check out. So y'all can just go to YouTube and and put White Rock UMC in the yes. search tab, and it'll it'll pop right up there at the top, and yes. you can see some of the conversations. Uh, some of them are just Dallas related, but there's at least a couple on here that are are um, would be beneficial yeah. for folks. Like on mental health and things like that.
3: Uh, Jenny's was really good on mental health. Everything from you know the practical aspects of making sure uh, you know if you're on medication for your mental health, you're going ahead and staying on top of that. To like how do we actually take inventory of our days and, and create some emotional um, awareness um, each day. And yeah, it was really helpful stuff. Really good stuff. And, and kind of a shame that we have to wait till uh a, a pandemic for us to actually be having these conversations but nonetheless uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that, that we've got relationships with folks that allow us to do it and it really I think Justin speaks to something uh, broader which is how can the church remain um, in the front and um, active and visible in the world while we are no longer gathering together in person and, um, and how does the church remain and take on its public role um and i think that 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 this is one way we're able to do it It was as simple as doing this and then you know i just delivered palm branches to folks who wanted them uh the saturday before palm sunday right and i wore my stole and i hung a palm branch and i said a blessing over a home and i did that for the homes but i also did that for all the neighbors who were still walking their dogs it's you know and and and, and still out in the neighborhood i i think it's important that the church finds. Um, Visible public signs of presence in the world, um, because as much as we need great uh, you know we need great um, advice and instruction from our elected officials and from doctors and from scientists, uh, the church also has a really important role to play, um, and that's you know the spiritual well-being of our communities and it's hard to do that it's hard to bring that awareness and that um, peace. Uh To a community that's anxious if we're not visible, and so how can we be visible in our communities and I think you know everything from from hosting and conversations uh on youtube to to actually finding ways to physically embody the space are important um as long as you know we're staying uh staying up to date with our social distancing guidelines,
1: yeah, I think that's a good question for churches and others. Ministry leaders to to ask themselves is is how like you said how can we still be present still be seen still be bearing witness um, while also considering how we do that um, based on the safety guidelines that that have been handed handed down to us um, but that that ministry of presence doesn't go away just because you right. know we don't have the the capacity to you know. See each other in person, or whatever else it might be.
3: Right, so you right. you
1: you've hinted on this a little bit, but what what's really been your motivation, both practically and theologically, in in doing the things that you've mentioned?
3: Well, I mean, I think you know, for some of us who have um, maybe done some CPE work in a clinical clinical pastoral education, where we, we've been in chaplain settings, um, we are probably hearkening back to that. And I've said this in a couple of places, and, you know, I'm sure we could have a great conversation about this disorder, uh some Woody or something. But, um, you know, the truth is, you know, I, in this age, you know, I think it's important to be pastoral more than it is anything else. And so I've been, you know, simply saying pastoral over doctrinal right now. Um, And and I say that because I think this idea of a theology of presence is actually it's more than just saying God is with us because we do need to remind our folks that that is the case. And I will say that often. Um, That's because, you know, I am a big incarnational guy. Uh, But I also think it's important to provide a pastoral presence in the world because ultimately we are having an opportunity as a church uh, to meet the needs and to listen to the pain and suffering of folks. Um, That typically would not uh, seek us out. And I know that's true because of the conversations I'm having in the community. And, um, you know, if we really want to take evangelism seriously, um, regardless of where we are and and regardless of what context we are in, I think being pastoral right now is one of the most important things we can um, do. And so it is, is, you know, kind of releasing some of the judgment that I may carry with me into conversations with folks. And I'm, I would say that without releasing myself or trying to get myself in a posture where I can um, just sit with folks and, and, and pray for them and listen to them without having to, to distribute or to give them a lot of answers. Um, and I think that actually takes work. That's not easy to do. And so we're trying our best to do it. Of course, we're still making mistakes, and we're still you know kind of fumbling the ball. Um, but ultimately, I think this pastoral relationship um that we are developing with our community, is one that will provide fruit um, well into the future. And it's the real role and responsibility of the church to be pastoral in times of crisis. I can't help but get the image of these priests out of my mind who are just flooding the hospitals in Northern Italy um, and sitting with people at the bedside, you know, and and risking um, their own lives to be pastoral uh, to folks who were um, in a desperate place. And while we aren't encouraging folks to just show up to our county hospital yet to do that, we do think that we have a responsibility to sit with people in whatever ways are feasible for us. And, um, and I think out of that comes a better understanding that God is present with us and, um, that in the midst of our pain, we can begin to point people to a, a, an Easter morning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of a strange, I don't know. We'll call it coincidence or whatever that all of this is, has been happening during um, during Lent and, right. and what yeah. what Lent means for us now. You know, might become more concrete and and hopefully um, Easter will as well. Um, yeah. On on actual you know our actual celebration of Easter this coming sunday but then you know as people sort of are able to walk out of their homes you know and and, and meet with one another again and all of that
3: i wonder oh yeah, I mean, go yeah, ahead just real quick i just want to expand on this for a second and as easter people right like the idea that that easter is, can be celebrated every time the church gathers you know that's important but you're right like and' I've seen a lot of jokes that like no one intended to give this much up for Lent, but this is truly an opportunity for us to see uh what what it really means to be in the wilderness. I mean there's so much uncertainty, so much restriction, uh so much lack of clarity that uh you can't help but draw those connections and I think you're you're spot on that like when we reemerge from the wilderness and we we find community again and we are reminded that there is uh a resurrection. Is available to us. Uh, I can't wait to see what that looks like. Not like on the first Friday we gather back together, but just in simple interactions and the ability for us to maybe see the risen Christ in uh, one another, uh, far more often than we, than we usually do because of our hectic busy lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we will appreciate one another more. I think this is going to hopefully change. And when I say we, I don't just mean our congregation, but we, the church over the way we worship and all of that. I, I was thinking, um, both on, on Y Rock's worship service that was posted on, um, Facebook and the church that we used to attend in Kentucky. Both of them, people were making comments throughout what would usually be the sermon time. And I was like, how cool is this that, that we've we've turned what's usually a, a monologue into a dialogue, and something that that could easily easily just be even more of a passive consumerism, where so much of of church kind of has become that, and it's it, in a way it made it more active than it might be, even if we were there present. It, with each other, so I really just I enjoyed that so much the last couple of weeks, being able to to sort of have conversations during a time when most of us usually are are sitting quiet. At yeah. least in the churches that I've been a part of, I know in some churches there's uh there's more uh, talking back and all of that. But at least in the churches that I've been a part of in recent times, yeah, so I, I,
3: our, that's a an cool opportunity. Yeah, you're right. I In our tradition, uh, <laughs> in, you know, mainline Protestant, like this isn't, you know, worship is, is rarely uh, interactive um, outside of some scripted kind of places where that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that there is a unique opportunity for us to, uh, as churches, to begin to think about what does it look like to to participate Um they, I was a I was an intern at at a church in Denver, uh, House for All Centers and Saints, and um, and one of the things that was said at the very beginning of every worship service is that they are anti-excellence and pro-participation, and mm-hmm. I wonder what it would look like for us to actually um, start to embody that more to get out of the production business and get out of, and get into the participation business. Um, mm. I think it's a, I think it's more radical in the shift than, than we probably realize or maybe comfortable with at this time, but there's no doubt that this is a great opportunity for the church to get to rethink how it understands worship and the worship's role within the broader community, and how do we get to a place where we are fostering um, deeper connections during
2: that worship hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in all of this, what do you think has proven to work well and what maybe hasn't worked so well?
3: Yeah. um, You know, you know, one of the things that works really well, and I I trust and I'm sure that other churches doing this, but um, there is no substitute for the phone call, you know, and, um, and I found that there's a return to this sort of, like, you know, staff and, and lay leaders and, and folks who are really committed to the church returning to a place where simple connections are best. And it allows us to, um, I think, really assess the needs of our congregation. Like, I'm I'm amazed at the type of and the depth of conversation I've been having with folks uh, by just simply picking up the phone and calling them. So like it doesn't have to be that complicated. I think our solutions don't have to be, you know, that complicated. Um I would say, you know, the places where we've we've kind of struggled is when we've overthought um something and um or we've tried we pushed a little too hard in terms of getting the community to respond how we would uh want them to respond. I think one of the examples that we have is, you know, we were we were trying to Get people to send in videos of where they're finding hope right now, and, and th- that's you know easy to do. It's not complicated, but we're probably overvaluing or, or or thinking that folks have time to even ponder that question, let alone like pick up their phone and record and, and send it in. So we're, we're beginning to realize that like our ask of of the community has to be really contextual. Um and what someone has the time to do in one context of our church or one demographic of our church doesn't necessarily translate. Um and the needs are really different. And and so we can't make universal statements about what's good for our community because our community is so diverse in terms of age that that needs and how they're feeling about this is all fairly unique to their context. And so we have to take a more nuanced approach towards pastoral care. Uh, towards leading uh, the congregation to doing faith formation and spiritual development in, in, during this time, because um, because we're not able to, to see the reaction or experience the reactions of folks in real time. And so the best way to do that is to to, to just chip away at this thing, you know, phone call by phone call, email by email, and stay engaged and, and know when it's time to turn it off for the night. You know, I think that's the hardest part is, whoever's leading these efforts in churches, whether that be committed volunteers and leaders or staff. um, I think the challenge is knowing when, um, when we have to step back and focus on our own spiritual wellness and and that of our families and and take some time. And, and I'm not a big like self-help kind of self-care guy, but if we are not taking care of ourselves, we're going to really burn out on this thing and and we're not going to be available like we need to be for our congregation. So, I think pacing is a real challenge, but something we have to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, yeah. So everything seems urgent right now, and, and there is a lot of urgency, yeah. but at the same time, we have to look at the fact that this is something that could potentially last for a while, and if it's going to last yeah. for a while, we need to figure out how to be there yeah. for the fall. Yeah. there are,
3: there are things that are urgent, right? But, like, I remember how we were thinking and responding to this um, in the midst of like the really unknown, uncertain time, right around when we first got our you know stay-at-home uh, shelter-in-place orders from the county. Like we were going a thousand miles a minute, you know, and, and trying to figure out okay like, what's the church going to do? with we the but now we're in what day twenty-six, and and so we've kind of fallen back into a better rhythm, a healthier rhythm of like. You know, pacing is important because we don't know how long this is going to be. And that's why, like, it is important to to create time to to continue to build those relationships with the community and with our our folks over the phone or through email or or whatnot. But, um, But we also have to realize that, yeah, this reality could be, you know, another month, you know, internally at White Rock. You know, today at time of recording this, you know, it is April 7th we are actually not planning internally to get back together until the first Sunday in June. And we haven't made that decision, but that's how we're we're thinking about it. And, and that's just a long time for our church to be um, a part. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it takes some – we're going to have to have some more serious conversations and make sure that, you know, we're helping cover the gaps and serving those who are in need um, and within our congregation, how, how we're caring for the folks who may need something in, in our broader community not only up until June, but then what is, like, post-COVID-19, you know, in place orders, what is that new reality, and how does the church also step into uh, to this new normal that's going to be, you know, this post-pandemic kind of space where we're going to be called upon to, to help in ways that we've never been called upon to help and serve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for – talking with me today i really appreciate it and appreciate you love the work that you're doing and and leading our our church community and doing and i anticipate that um we'll be hearing more ideas coming out from y'all about things that we'll be participating in but um i really appreciate having you on today mitchell
3: yeah justin i I appreciate all all you and rachel do for our church and witness and the faithfulness that y'all live with and uh grateful to have y'all as a part of our community and and grateful to just spend this time with you
0: and this is justin berenger the rogue minister signing off with my co-host rachel at speech strong resources and go check out our show notes and if you are listening on apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.